welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. It's been a couple weeks. Joining me, as always, my man, Wally Lukashensky in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A couple weeks of a lot of fun playoff sports. You had the Euros going on, a little bit of the match that we're getting into. But how have your two weeks been, my dude? Yeah, it's been a tough couple weeks here for the family. Uh, we lost my Uncle Jerome last week, and we're actually going to Cleveland Tomorrow, we're recording this on Wednesday, but we're going to Cleveland on Thursday for the funeral and the, the burial and the wake and all that. So it's going to be a tough couple days. I'm not quite sure when this will be out. It might be Thursday morning. It might be Friday morning. But whenever it is, give give me a little bit of a pass this week because I'm a little scatterbrained. I'm not exactly, I guess, as sharp as I usually am. But we are we're in a fun time for sports. And here's the thing, too. My Uncle Jerome... Giant sports guy. I know we're going to love talking sports, and I know that would make him happy, so I'm going to be happy to do it. But yeah, man, great time. We're talking NHL, Stanley Cup play or finals, NBA finals, Euro finals coming up, Copa America's final, middle of baseball. That's awesome, Steven. How's uh, your life been these last couple weeks? Well, first and foremost, thank you for going on this episode. You have a hellish week kind of coming up, and obviously condolences to you. In the Lukashenska family, I hope, and I hope it's that side, so I'm not giving condolences to the wrong family. But overall, you know, tough time. I'm glad you're still pushing through. The last couple of weeks, can't really complain. Just been kind of enjoying the sun or the heat, I guess, as much as I can enjoy it. This is why I moved away from the south, and here we are, just blistering heat. It was like 95 degrees coming home, which isn't too bad when the windows are up. But getting out with that wool jacket on is not the best of weather. But that means. A lot of golf to be played. Went to the crew game this past weekend. Got to see their opening field. Lower.com field. I was going to say, I'm actually excited to hear about that place. Oh, it was badass. It was loud as shit. I don't know if that was me not being able to go to live sporting events, obviously, since the pandemic, that it just seemed extra loud in there. But they are rowdy here in Columbus for their crew. And you know, me working at Lower.com. They just named, they just got the naming rights for the stadium, so it's lower dot com field. So Mabel, I feel like you're a real adult. I can get company tickets. I never thought I'd see the day that I'd be able to say that. And here I am, baby. Dude, that's actually really cool. I know that people were saying that the TV broadcast didn't even do it justice with how loud it was. And I mean, you you just said it. The crew fandom, it's insane. It's as close I feel like to that European atmosphere as we get here in the states. They're absolutely insane. I I didn't realize how I don't understand how people can be that attached to American MLS professional soccer. I can get it if you're like diehards for the Euro Euro teams or in the EPL, La Ligas, you know, Serie A if you're if you're really getting deep into it, Bundesliga. But man, there are some diehard fans for this crew. They would rip limbs off to see them win the championship again in that new stadium. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's actually hilarious, though. Before halftime, all the credit card machines had gone down. So they were just giving out free shit basically the second half of the entire game. My mom got a free can of wine. That's right. They have canned wine there. It really is amazing to see them go from map-free being one of the worst stadiums. It had its charm. It's like, you know, with like the old Raiders Coliseum or like the Bears, Soldier Field. It's It could be a dump, but that almost gives it a little charm to it. But now you went all the way into that new school corporate stadium look. And I'm excited for the fans. Hopefully this means the crew is here to stay for the foreseeable future. I'm excited for you. Need to get your ass down and I'll take you to a game. 
hopefully get some good seats. More or less, we're going to at least get the bottom row there. Gorgeous. It's electric. Have the beers flowing. Start screaming. Just make sure you're wearing your, your Pittsburgh yellow, which is the Columbus crew color here, bud, which I don't think you'll have a problem finding. No, I'll have to wear my Pittsburgh Riverhound shirt because we're black and yellow over here, and they're just a terrible soccer team, like league or two below the MLS. But I'll wear that and pretend like I'm one of you guys anyways. Well, let's continue with the football talk because this, this is a football podcast at the end of the day, Wally. We were just talking about it there in our intro. We have the Euros that are wrapping up. We have Italy and England in the finals. That's going to be at Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern. This is literally, what, two hours removed from England defeating Denmark in extra time. Harry Kane knocking in. Not a PK. He got his rebound off his own PK that was blocked and scored, which, first of all, I think that's cheap. The person that is taking the penalty kick, he should not be allowed to touch it again after the goalie saves it. That's just my thought. Not that I had money on Denmark to advance up plus 270. Nothing like that. That's just my own personal opinion that has no bias to it. But it's been an amazing, an amazing run. Same weekend, Portugal, France, and Germany all went out within a three-day span. If you don't know, Portugal is the reigning Euro champions. Then obviously we have France as the reigning World Cup champions. How much of a blast have you had watching this? I don't know how much you have been able to watch, but the things that you have caught, the games you have caught, how exciting have they been for you? It's actually pretty much main sport I've been watching right now besides the Stanley Cup Finals. Like you said, there's I haven't had a ton of time to watch more than a few games here and there just last week with everything going on. But I made sure I got to watch the semifinal games in their entirety just because it was kind of a really exciting semifinal matchups on both ends here. And we're going to have what should be a really fun final. I mean, it's at Wembley. And, I mean, England has... Anything but a proud Euro track record in their past. So to see them potentially get it done at Wembley in London would be really cool. But then, of course, that Italy team is so fast and so fun to watch, too. But here's the thing. You didn't even mention it. Copa America's going on, too. The day before that final is the Copa final, which has a Lionel Messi Argentina team and then Neymar's Brazil team. So it's going to be a great weekend for the other kind of football so if you guys are soccer fans, I definitely recommend it because it's about as top-tier quality as you can see, especially in the international game. This will be the first time that Messi and Neymar are going to be matching up against each other in any type of competitive play since Neymar left Barcelona and went to PSG. I want to give a quick shout-out to Adam Alfonso, mostly because I feel really bad for him. He's going to be in a wedding this weekend above his very, very good friends, Eli. Sorry, Eli, I almost blanked on your name there, bud. It's not like we just had a good time at Adam's bachelor party last year. But he's going to his buddy Eli's wedding, and that reception is going to be taking place in the middle of that game. So he's like, man, he was talking about this two weeks ago when I saw him. He's like, man, when Argentina gets to the final, it's going to blow. I will be at Eli's wedding. But the only thing I can hope for is that his wife is Brazilian. So if Brazil and Argentina end up in the final, then I know that there's going to be some family members on her side that are going to need to be watching it. So that's all I'm praying for because that's the only way I can be watching it. So Adam Alfonso, you got your wish. Bears still suck, but at least Argentina is in the final and hopefully Messi can get it done for you and the boys. Hey, congratulations to you, Eli. Yeah, congrats to Eli. And last thing I'll say on soccer and I'll let it go. 
Really awesome story, though, with Christian Eriksen and the Denmark team. I know that they only... They fell just short today of making it to the Euro final, but after how scary that start of the tournament was for people in general to see that happen and end that decision, mind-numbing decision to make them go back out and play after he was resuscitated less than an hour before, it's insane. But I, it's a great story for them. I'm hopefully they can build on that momentum in the future, and hopefully we get to see Christian Eriksen back on the pitch sometime very soon. But yeah, wanted to point that out just because. I felt like that kind of got buried a little bit with England winning and that, I guess, overcoming their own ineptitude of the past. Denmark was the hottest team in the Euro leading into this game. I mean, through the last two elimination games, the aggregate between those were 8-0. and They did not allow a goal. They were blanking people and just scoring left and right. And England was coming off a 4-0 victory as well. So this game I thought was going to be a lot more offense. Still very exciting. Denmark had the lead going into the 30th minute. I want to say all the way up until around the 63rd, 64th minute. And Harry Kane had that bullshit PK. Not too happy about that. Overall, great game. Cinderella run done for Denmark. It was actually in the 39th minute on another own goal, but not a big deal, Stephen. Don't worry about it. All right. I thought you said you only watched a few minutes of uh, selective games, but I guess here you are ready to burn me. We'll move on to the next story here. The most exciting story I thought that has come out since the last time that we had recorded. The NCAA now are finally allowing players to be paid by their name, image, and likeliness. Something that has just been an uproar in the NCAA community, probably closer to the past two, two and a half, three decades. And now it is finally struck. And I'm sure if you guys are following anyone on social media, a brunt of you are going to be following... Barstool Sports, which they went absolutely off, signed a bunch of athletes, even names outside of Barstool. You had Deion Sanderson already getting a contract with that. I can't imagine how many of these people from Bama, your OSUs, your Clemsons, are going to be getting an outrageous amount of money. So we've always had the argument, since we've been able to make compensate arguments about paying these college athletes, the time has finally come for us, Wally. What are your thoughts? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you think that this will be the downfall of the NCAA, or do you think it'll only make it better? Well, the writing's been on the wall, clearly, for the past, I'd say, decade, ever since they overturned in that Ed O'Bannon case for NCAA football. I think that we knew this would have to come at some point. Now, the way they did it, it kind of gets to brush Title IX to the side, so to speak, so that players can go out and get it paid on an individual basis opposed to if, like, let's say the school paid everybody, it would have to be a blanket coverage for, like, the synchronized swimming team would get paid the exact same as the football team, and obviously that wouldn't be fiscally possible. So this was pretty cool. Now, you have seen a couple guys, too, like Graham Mertz, the quarterback for Wisconsin. He unveiled a logo. He's going to basically be selling his own merchandise through that, and school like Wisconsin... I mean, you get a halfway decent quarterback, that's what they've been missing forever. You know, that fan base is going to really hone in and fall in love with him. Then you see Miami, I think it was something like $540,000 in total money is being given to the football team. It's like 6000 per player, which, don't get me wrong, is that going to like change these kids' lives? No, but it's also going to let them live a little bit more freely on campus. So it'll, I think it's fun. I don't think it's really going to be the downfall. 
I mean, like I saw one comment be like, oh, wow, you know what? This really is going to separate everybody because of the gym payments. As if Eastern Michigan had a shot at the guys that Miami was getting already. So I, I think good on these players. I'm happy for them. There's going to be a little glitch here and there that we're going to have to figure out as they come up. But it's a good first step. I'm happy for these college players getting paid because now they don't have to have that pressure added on to them of being caught. They're all getting fucking paid anyway, people. It shouldn't come to a surprise. Now, the only problem is they're probably going to be making way more. Kids with those monies were definitely going to have a lot of Johnny Manziel-esque types of people. But the one question, you know, that's weighing on everybody, which I haven't asked you before. I think that we're going to agree on it. Is Reggie Bush getting that Heisman back or what? He should have. It never should have been taken away to begin with because they, the way they made it phrased when they first took it away, as if there was somehow this, the house that he was, his family was given affected him on the field. Reggie Bush was the best running back, potentially the best athlete we've seen in college football, not only in the last 20 years. I mean, you can make a case. He's in that short breath ever. He was a freak of nature when you watched him play. That He was doing things we'd never seen before. Those early thousands USC teams were so much fun between him, Matt Leiner, and then what was the other one? Uh, their other running back, he ended up getting drafted, I want to say, by like Tennessee. Big fella. It was like thunder and lightning. Oh, my gosh. I believe you're talking about Lendell White, my kind, sir. My guy. That's exactly who I was talking about. It was literally thunder and lightning, though. You had the fast, super agile Reggie Bush. Then on fourth and one, you brought in Lendale White. He looked like a freaking linebacker running at you. Those teams were great, and I desperately hope he gets his Heisman back. It's the same... Uh, whatever. I'm going to go on a tangent. No, he deserves it. I'm so happy that we're finally getting rid of this nonsense that is the amateurism rules of NCAA football. I couldn't agree anymore. Yeah, Reggie Bush is absolute stud. I mean, I just... I don't want to... Just repeat everything you said, but yeah, dude was a polarizing figure in college football. You know, unfortunately, he didn't really make that big of a leap in the NFL. He was still an absolute stud. That also just proves to you how talented the NFL is. But Reggie Bush was just demolishing people left and right. He was a cheat code. Give the man his Heisman back. Stop being disrespectful to him. Give it to him right fucking now. You know he's already sent out tweets. Cryptic tweets. I'm sure he's sending out emails, text messages, anything he can to get his hands back on it. Hopefully by the end of 2021, we'll all have this behind us. Reggie finally gets that Heisman right back in his house. A couple other people that are adding trophies to their mantles here. Aaron Rodgers, Bryson DeChambeau, winning the match that happened here yesterday, July 6th, over Phil and TB12. It was a pretty even match going into the back nine, and then AR-12, that's right, AR-12. And Bryson DeChambeau just demolished, demolished, demolished these two. Ended up winning by four strokes. The match was done by hole 16 after Aaron Rodgers nailed what was like a 10 or 11, 12-foot birdie putt to put them away. And, of course, we couldn't go the whole match without Aaron Rodgers just getting ass left and right. What is going to happen? Are you going to return to the Packers? Are you going to go to training camp? What's your future looking like? And a lot of shit talking from Tom Brady about that situation. Not even being nonchalant about it. Just drilling him. So I thought that was great. A lot of shit talk overall between those four. And then Tom Brady kind of showing his 
bitchy over competitive side. I get it. You want to win. You want to do well. At the end of the day, bud, this is about charity. Stop screaming and screeching like a teenage girl. Overall, I thought it was awesome. I love how this was going to be a one-time thing, but the pandemic, the only thing the pandemic was good for is had this reoccurrence of the match and the trilogy and just all these different players that we get to see up close, them mic'd up. Like I said, them talking shit. I think it's awesome. How did you enjoy the match this time around here? Sadly, I wasn't able to see as much as I would have liked to just because, again, the, a lot of stuff's been going on right now in my world, but I was able to watch a few of the clips of it, and I was really bummed out that I didn't get to see more because, first of all, the scenery in this course was unbelievable. The backdrop, it was just a gorgeous view. It's, of course, it looks like that would be awesome to play, but I guess going into it, didn't we kind of expect this to be a little lopsided purely from the fact that as much as people are polarized on Bryson DeChambeau, you cannot deny the fact that guy hits the ball like no one we've ever seen before. And Phil might hit bombs. That's great. His bombs are not the same as the Bryson bombs. I mean, he was like 390 away and he didn't even pull out his driver because he's like, I'm going to overshoot it. And that's just not something that you see. And I guess we saw Tom Brady last year at the match Far from a elite golfer. We'll just say that. He looks like one of us out there. But it's a really cool tradition now. I'm actually really starting to like it. I like that. I was bummed at first we weren't going to have Tiger. But now I kind of started to enjoy that we get to actually get to know other people a little bit more. If that makes sense. And I love this dynamic of bringing the quarterbacks in. Uh, I will say this. Aaron Rodgers, like you said, he, he was kind of ducking a few of these Packer questions and it makes me not really sure where his head's still at. He didn't opt out. So I don't know. What do you think is going on in Aaron Rodgers head? I know that this is pretty much all speculation at this point, but as the Packer fan, you're probably more in tune with everything that's going on with him. What has been your thoughts of this kind of last couple weeks? Cause they, I imagine it's kind of been hell for you. Well, I mean, it's been a hellish off season ever since this, story came out about Aaron, but not, you know, not wanting to play for the Packers, not liking Gutenkus, all this stuff. So you saw the smiles like, well, I don't know yet. You know, he did an opt out, which was a huge sign, you know, and possibility that he was going to come back for at least one more year. You know, that's still, that's still up in the air. There hasn't really been a lot of talks from the two sides of the front office and Aaron. I thought it was really funny. I think it was, I think it was a jeopardy question. They're doing some spoofs and, and Tom Brady answered it. Uh, I'm going to go with someone who's angry at their boss, uh, who is Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron just said, well, I never said I was angry at my boss. And Tom said, well, I did for you, so don't worry. So we'll see. Aaron's, you know, kind of like what I've been always saying. Aaron got upset that the story came out, and now he's kind of trying to get it covered back up, I feel like. So with this, I hope, I don't know, man. I don't know. Oh, I'm not angry at my boss. He's just being classic California douche, just – you know, just trying to be even keel. I'm a hippie now. Look at my hair. I smoke a shit ton of weed and meditate every day. And I don't need, you know, the socialism of the NFL for me to be successful. You're a Parks and Rec fan, obviously. You know how Ann Perkins... Over the office, baby. I think we... Parks and Rec podcast. Amen. You're exactly right. But you know how Ann Perkins takes on the identity of whoever he's dating or she's dating at the time? 
I'm getting the same exact energy from Aaron Rodgers. Dayton Shailene Woodley, I think is her name. Because she's like a very outspoken, like vegan. She's very like green and everything. All of a sudden, Rodgers got the hair flow. He's vibing in Hawaii for six months. It just seems like he's inherited her personality. He still has that Aaron Rodgers dryness to him. But that's what it felt like to me. I'm like, I feel like he's Ann Perkins ing us I, like, I had to figure out how to add ing to perkins but in perkinsing himself right now so i don't know that was my takeaway she's a succubus she's controlling she's like uh she's tammy one that's who she is she's <laughs> tammy one just controlling it's controlling aaron's brain because like look danica danica patrick's a bear's fan you never saw any of this shit coming out Right? That's the one person that you think would drive Aaron Rodgers away from the Packers, like try to get them on the Bears. But no, now it's just this hippie chick that's doing whatever. Yeah. Aaron just can't make his own decisions. And now he's sticking up for himself. I don't like it one bit. More like the fault in your stars right now. <laughs> Donna Ching. All right. Uh, my bad. Yeah, don't even don't even bother editing uh the, the drums in there. Oh, I so. wasn't. That was it right there. That was just authentic great joke from Wally. Yeah, we're going to dive in here to the NFL stories right before we dive into the way too early predictions of the NFC and the AFC West. Those are going to be the two most interesting divisions going in to the year. But, you know, we had to save the Norris for your boy and for the bulk of the people who listen to this who are either Steelers, Ravens, Browns, Bengals fans. Got to save the best for last. Keep you guys on that string. Bringing you back. Hard Knocks had just announced that the Dallas Cowboys are going to be covered in this year's edition. They're one of the five teams that were eligible for this. Arizona Cardinals, Denver Broncos, New York Giants, Carolina Panthers were the other four. Obviously, having a new head coach, Jacksonville was not going to be on this list. Not a surprise at all when I saw the Cowboys were eligible for the Hard Knocks because, come on, anytime they're eligible, I feel like that's where Hard Knocks is going. That's where HBO is filming because Jerry has that money. So we're both not surprised by this. At least I don't think you should be. But if there was a team that you'd want on that was that was going to be on this list that's eligible outside of the Cowboys, who did you want to see? Yeah, I mean, I know you just mentioned Jacksonville not being eligible, but that was who I was rooting for from all the new stuff. But of the eligible teams, I would have loved to have seen that early retirement home out in Arizona, bringing in J.J. Watt, see if he still has that really... I don't know if you guys remember... When he was on Houston, was on a hard knocks, he came across as like this Captain America, really nerdy, kind of boring guy that had a bunch of cliches that he would say and stuff. And I was interested to see if he kind of has evolved from that at all. Plus, you bring in AJ Green, you lose guys like Hassan Reddick, Patrick Peterson. It would be cool to see that dynamic. But at the same time, like you said, it's Dallas. It's the Cowboys. You want to talk about polarizing. It's one of the most polarizing teams in the world, not even just in the United States. So it makes sense that he would be there. And with Dak Prescott being back and healthy, finally getting his deal, I think it'll be a fun watch. So I am actually pretty excited for this season. I am just not looking forward to looking at Mike McCarthy, his fat face, his lazy eye, with my Southern accent. Yeah, this is the Dallas Cowboys way. Sick. Have fun being eight and nine this year. Honestly, I'm I agree with you. The Broncos, it's a shithole quarterback competition that they have. Yeah, Von Miller coming back from injury. I still don't think that there is enough in there that would make me interested. The Giants, maybe Saquon coming off that injury. 
that third year leap for Danny Dimes, maybe get behind the scenes footage of what that offseason is look that offseason is looking like. On top of all the weapons, quote unquote weapons that they had added for him. That'd be a fun offensive locker room, kind of see how that's flowing. Panthers, I'm just not really feeling it. Once again, you got CMC coming off of injury. Maybe see how they're looking with Sam Darnold Darnold under center for him. I just don't think that that'd be enough to have people watch. I would go with the Cardinals. You have so many studs. You got DeAndre and J.J. Watt back at it. The tail end of A.J. Green's career. Kyler Murray in there. See what that back. Who the fuck? I don't even know who the running back is. And just seeing Kyler Murray on there. And that offensive locker room would just be so interesting. And obviously, like you said earlier, J.J. Watt being in there. he's I thought he was really fun during that Houston hard knocks. But all in all, I agree with you, Wally. The Arizona Cardinals would be the absolute best. And on top of that, they'll have the NBA championship soon. So maybe you'd get a little back end of Devin Booker, Chris Paul being at the practices too. Maybe getting them involved on the field. That'd always be fun. Overall, I don't think there was going to be a win at all with any of these teams that were eligible. Hopefully next year's slate's going to be fun, and maybe Jacksonville will be that team for you. And our last NFL story before we dive into the previews here. I know, short week. This is more of an entertainment episode. Not really digging into too much football because there's not too much football to dig in. But the Saints and their right offensive tackle, Ryan Ramchek, they agreed to a five-year, $96 million extension. So Pro Football Focus ranked him the 28th best player, third-ranked offensive lineman, and he was the only right tackle in the top 50. Now, it's Pro Football Focus. They're kind of like the Wikipedia of football stats. They just kind of throw random shit. I don't know how much of it I can trust, but the, the kid's an absolute stud. They're not signing $96 million contracts to offensive linemen who are not good. And right now, the Saints need as much offensive linemen help as they can get. What were your thoughts on this one, Wally? I mean, surprise, surprise, another Wisconsin offensive lineman that's having an outstanding NFL career. I mean, it just feels like they turned them out up there in Madison. But yeah, he's been phenomenal, and I guess fortunate or unfortunate, I guess you want to look at it, he had that fifth-year option because he was the 32nd pick in his draft way back in 2017. So he still will only be making like $1.5 million next year before his big money kicks in the following season. But this is a guy that he was a first team all pro two years ago. He's a two time second team all pro. He's getting the credit he deserves. The saints are going to have a lot of issues in the next few years because of the salary cap hell they're in. So to be able to bring in a guy and, and keep someone like him on that offensive line as they're, you know, going to be breaking in a new quarterback. And then even in a soft rebuild, it's important to have guys like this that you can lean on and know that he's going to be there for the next five or six years or so. So good for them. He's a good building block for that rebuild. Absolutely. I don't know if that's what you were looking for, but yeah, the offensive line, that's where you start. That's such an underappreciated position, the O and D line, where no one really cares about it until we get to playoffs. It's like, well, doesn't really matter unless you have an O-line that can protect you and a D-line that can get after you. Why don't you go ahead and ask the Kansas City Chiefs after watching Tom Brady and the boys lift up the trophy and ask Kansas City the year prior how that offensive line and defensive line was looking. So anytime you can bolster it up, love to see those big boys get paid. Shout out to Ryan Ranchek. He is a big boy himself. He needs all $96 million of that to keep that fridge stock for him. Yeah, it's that Wisconsin lineman, baby. It's the rule for him. Those big white boys, I like to push people around. Wouldn't mind a couple of those up in Green Bay staying home. 
And that will wrap us up here on the NFL Stories. Told you it's going to be short and sweet. We're getting straight to the point here on this episode. We're going to dive in, starting with the AFC West. We're going to go with the Denver Broncos. They're over under set at eight and a half. Their overs odds are 138 with under at plus 115. I did allude to it earlier. They have a little bit of a quarterback battle they got between Teddy Bridgewater, who they just brought in this offseason, and Drew Locke. They bolstered up some of their secondary with Ronald Darby with a three-year, $30 million contract, and Kyle Fuller just on the one-year deal. Losing veterans like Nick Vanette at tight end, A.J. Bouye in that secondary, as well as Philip Lindsay, who made his way over to the Houston Texans, or what's left of them. Had some good hits on the draft as well. Personally, I have them right at eight and nine. Denver hasn't done enough for me, to, literally since Peyton Manning has left, for me to be comfortable to make them a playoff team, let alone in that division where you're going to have a tough time with all three of the other opponents between Kansas City, the Chargers, and your Vegas Raiders, Wally. I don't see Denver making that leap. It's going to be another year of just poor quarterback play and that quarterback carousel that they have. If they can keep Drew Locke healthy, well, maybe Teddy Bridgewater is doing well. Talk about an offensive line that is non-existent. Yeah, they have Melvin Gordon in that backfield. You have that young stud at your tight end and Noah Fant. Then you have a young wide receiving core with Jerry Judy going into his second year and Cortland Sutton going into his third. So there is a lot of promise with this team in that division with their schedule that they have this year. Looking at it at this point in time, I'm just not too sure. Even with the addition of Patrick Sertain adding a plug-and-play rookie DB, I still don't feel like this offense is going to have enough firepower to keep the defense off the field, even if that defense can be a top seven, top 10 team. Right now, I have them at slightly under at eight wins, under the 8.5, taking that under at plus 115 right now. I completely agree. I was actually surprised when I looked at this that the over was the minus 138, not vice versa, because this is a very difficult division to play in. Assuming that the Chargers continue to move forward, I mean, you could realistically see the Broncos going 1-5, potentially 0-6 in division. And at that point, it's going to be very hard for them to catch up. I think they're going to get swept by the Chargers, swept by the Chiefs. I think the Raiders have even had their number the last few years. I will say something nice about them before I dig a little bit harder into them. I loved them drafting Quinn Menners, or however you pronounce it, the center out of Wisconsin-Whitewater, and Baron Browning from Ohio State in the third round. I thought they had a great draft beyond the first pick. I think a lot of people forgot. They brought Teddy Bridgewater in the night before round one of the draft, and I wonder if they did not do that, would Justin Fields be practicing in the Mile High City opposed to the Windy City right now? And I'm very happy that didn't happen because now you have to worry about him and I don't. I just don't think this team right now with the quarterback play, even if they have to at some point go to Teddy Bridgewater, that's only a marginal improvement. He's a game manager. He's not the guy that we saw pre-ACL and whatever else happened to his leg. So I do think that they, the under is the move here and I think that they're going to actually be at the seven win total at seven and 10 opposed to eight, nine. I, I was very surprised with the plus plus one fifteen. Now I'm going to jump over here for us with the chargers. Now it is going to be a nine and a half game total, which again, surprises me because the overs at plus plus one ten, the under at minus one thirty three. Like I just said with Denver, I would have completely inversed these odds. I like the over here. I really like this chargers team. 
I think that realistically, I would take them to win probably four games in division. I think they'd still get swapped by the Chiefs because I just physically can't imagine teams beating them. So I have them with the over at plus 110, assuming that Justin Herbert can stay healthy. You brought in one of the best interior offensive linemen in Corey Lindsley in the entire league. Jared Cook, I know he's getting older, but the guy just keeps producing. I think he'll be able to step into that Hunter Henry role and not, I guess, fall off too harsh. They do, unfortunately for them, lose Rayshon Jenkins and Casey Hayward, but they just come right back. You get Asante Samuel Jr. And then Rashawn Slater, one of my favorite picks in the entire draft at 13 there. I think this Charger team, if you know the question, it's every year. Can they stay healthy, especially on that offense and defensive line? Then, yeah, this team, I think, is a dark horse to come out of the AFC in general, not just make the playoffs. I have them at probably, I'd say, 10-7, and seven, but a very dangerous team come wildcard weekend. So I completely agree with the injuries. They are so prone to injuries. Derwin James, their safety, who's an absolute stud, just cannot seem to stay on the field. Like you said, they lost Hunter Henry. Rashawn Jenkins, Melvin Gordon on that edge rusher, who's 32, which makes sense. He was an aging defensive end. Get rid of him. You're you're adding Corey Lindsley, you know, if not the best center in the NFL, the top two or three guy at that position, Jared Cook, another safety valve for a young quarterback in Justin Herbert. But he was an absolute stud last year. He blew past everyone's expectations. I not only think that LA Chargers can be a dark horse candidate to come in second in that division, come on, they're not going to win, but at least get a wild card spot. I wouldn't put it past them as well as having Justin Herbert as a dark horse MVP candidate with the way that he played last year. They had a bunch of one possession games coming very close to the end. I think the Chargers might flip a page here in their franchise, maybe start putting it together. Now, even though I'm very high on them right now, I have the LA Chargers at nine and eight, slightly just a game above the Denver Broncos. So I have them at the under at nine right now. That's why we call it the way too early predictions, though, boys and girls. We'll start really diving deep in here when it hits August, close to September. The LA Chargers, I think that half game is going to be the difference. I'm going to go opposite of Wally here and go in the under for now. You never know. Someone can get injured. Corey Lindsay can get injured tomorrow during the offseason. Next thing you know, that nine and a half is looking a little bit better to hit on the under. Flip it over to your Vegas Raiders. The over-under is set at 7 on the nose, over minus 125, the under at plus 105. Key additions that they had here, Kenny and Drake that they took away from the Cardinals to add to their backfield. Nice little pair up with your boy, Josh Jacobs. Yannick Nagakwe, who you finally got, finally got, had your eyes on him in the draft, couldn't get him, eventually fell to you guys in a free agency. I'm sure I'm sure you're not too pissed off about that. Adding a veteran, Casey Hayward, from the rival Chargers, coming over to the black and silver, as well as Nick Martin. Key losses, uh, your whole offensive line, including Trent Brown and Rodney Hudson. Losing Nelson Aguilar after his best season as a professional. But then obviously, drafting Alex Leatherwood, an absolute steal, late in the first round at 17. But the Vegas Raiders, I'm still not too sold on that defense. Since John Gruden has taken over as the head coach, they've allowed the most points in the NFL since, and that was in 2018. I feel like they still haven't done that much on the the defensive side of the ball, but now they're going to have that stadium rocking, the Death Star rocking with full capacity. That could be a little bit different and make my decisions change. 
or my predictions change here. But for right now, I have the Vegas Raiders. Sorry, Wally, at 7-10 for the moment being. So right there, worst comes to worst, you would push on this particular bet. But the Vegas defensively hasn't done enough for me for me to fully go in there. And that's a tough division that we keep saying over and over again that is offensively fueled between the Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Chargers. Hopefully we can uh, get a game going this year, the next couple years, Wally. But I've talked enough. You're going to give it to me now because I, because I don't think that they're going to hit the over? No, I was very kind of split on this as well just because they do have one of the more difficult schedules going into this year. And on top of that, you do have that uncertainty. I forgot to even put on the list. You also lose Gabe Jackson. So that's all of a sudden center all the way to your right tackle are gone. You were putting in new faces. You and I are some of the only people out there that actually like the Alex Leatherwood pick at 17, which is surprising to me. I just, I mean, the, the Raiders, are, first of all, they're the Alabama in Clemson NFL team now. So they just draft solely from those schools. But I am excited to see how Nick Martin and Alex Leatherwood do this year. I am encouraged with the line. So I'm going to hold out hope there. But the issue is, is that this division top to bottom is difficult. It is hard. I think that I would expect the over-under of division wins to be at two. And that's solely because I think there's a decent chance you sweep Denver. But if not, there might be an outside chance that you can beat the Chargers one of the two games. We'll see. I, I don't like how they match up with them anymore either. So I picked the over of, of seven just because it is no, it is a round number. And I think seven and ten is very possible. But I think that they're more likely to go 8-9 and nine than they are to go 6-11. and 11. And for that reason, I took the over. But I am encouraged because there's a lot of smoke coming out now. Not happy for you. But for whatever reason, Devontae Adams and Derek Carr have been like flirting with each other on Twitter. Doing the, it'd be so sweet to play in Oakland. Or, I said Oakland. It'd be so sweet to play in Las Vegas. Oh, you know what? It'd be really cool to have Devontae here in Vegas. And if that happens, I'll do what I did with Antonio Brown, and I will buy way too hard in for absolutely no reason. But for as it sits, I'm tentatively taking the over of seven wins. Now, we're going to go over to my hated rival, the Kansas City Chiefs now, where the over is minus 105, under is minus 115 for 12 and a half wins. So it's about a pick em. It's pretty close there for both sides. I said it last year, and I think it's basically just turned into something that I have to say once on the podcast every time, but I'm not betting against the Chiefs in pretty much any circumstance for the foreseeable future, and to imagine them losing five games next year is hard for me to do. I was surprised to see that this is technically the underdog pick, but I'm taking the over, and I think that assuming that Patrick Mahomes stays healthy, they're a 14-15 kind of win team, so I'm taking the Chiefs there. Key additions in their offseason. They've got to basically restructure that offensive line after everybody panicked post-Super Bowl. They brought in Orlando Brown. They brought in Joe Thune. And then off the offensive line, they brought in guys like Jaron Reed, too. You lost the, the other tackles we were talking about, Remmers and Eric Fisher and Bashad Breeland. I always want to say Bashad, but there's not an R there. It's Bashad Breeland, and it always throws me through a loop. But anyways, I just think this is a team that now is even more complete than they have been. And now that Patrick Mahomes is going to have to run 498 yards in the backfield in a Super Bowl game, I'm going to keep picking them the win. 
I, I would love to hear, I guess, what your thoughts are because I have a feeling that we're going to be on the same side again because I feel like we always are when it comes to the Chiefs. It, it, you're so right. It is so hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, you know, even though I did it in the Super Bowl and won. That's neither here nor there. But what do they do in this offseason, which a lot of NFL teams wish their front office would do, addressed every single need on the offensive side of the ball, which is O-lineman. They traded for Orlando Brown Jr., which is the only offensive lineman to be named what the last three years to at least two Pro Bowls. He's the only guy to be doing that, I think, outside of one or two. I think it's David Bakhtiari and someone else, Quentin Nelson. Then they had Joe Thune, which was the highest offensive lineman that was on the market, interior offensive lineman that was on the market. You go and bolster those two. Now, the only question I'm going to have is, McCole Harbin is officially now your number two receiver. Well, number three. This number two with three and asterisks next to it. So, you know, they got Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill there. Sammy Watkins going over to the Baltimore Ravens. That's why he's putting in that slot. So, that's an extremely faster offense than it than it typically has been the last couple of years with Sammy Watkins filling it in. Yeah, Sammy's Watkins fast, but not as fast as Harbin is. Over 12 and a half. I have them at 14 and three. I, to your point, it's very hard for me to see them losing five games. Only if Patrick Mahomes is healthy for all 16, 17 of those games. The only problem I'm going to have, or I would be biting my nails, getting nervous is if they, if they win the division with four, with four losses already, and they go into that final week resting all their starters. Even with that, I do not see the Kansas City Chiefs losing four games over the duration of the year. But even with their with their tough schedule, you got the Browns, you got the Ravens, you got to play the Bills, you're going to play the Washington football team and the New York Giants, which are tough defensive fronts that are really going to test how that O-line is looking. Dallas will see not defensively, but then in that division as well, twice against the Chargers, Twice against the Broncos that are going to have a very good defense. Then you have some lay down games with, you know, the Eagles and the Bengals. Overall, I, I can't reiterate this enough. I find it very hard to believe and see Kansas City losing more than four or five games. Nail that over. I think that's easy money, just like every other Kansas City bet. We're going to flip it over to the NFC side here where the Arizona Cardinals over under set at eight and a half. Over at plus 105, the under at minus 125. So that is the favor right now. Key additions that we've been talking about in the hard knocks section of this podcast. J.J. Watt, A.J. Green. They added Malcolm Butler, cornerback from Tennessee, who obviously was made famous from a Super Bowl winning interception against Russell Wilson at the one-yard line. Key losses, you know, they're losing Pat Peterson, who's just been a stud, polarizing player for those Arizona Cardinals team the past decade. Kenyon Drake going to your boys and Hassan Reddick, which we were kind of alluding to earlier. Zayvon Collins, though, linebacker out of Tulsa taken at 26. And then Rondell Moore, another speed re- a speedy slot receiver that they can add to their arsenal of offensive weapons that they had here. This is going to be a very fun offense to watch on the, on the NFC side of the West here, which is really funny because this is not, I don't even think it's going to be, the most interesting offense to watch in this division, but it is definitely up there at eight and a half wins set at that over under. I have the Arizona Cardinals just over at nine and eight, but I also have them not making the playoffs and being fourth in that division. So I'm very high on what these teams can do in this division. Arizona Cardinals, you guys are good, but then you look everywhere else and all the bullies that are sitting outside waiting to take your lunch money. 
and the LA Rams, Seattle Seahawks, and the San Francisco 49ers. You guys are going to have over eight, an over 500 record, miss the playoffs, maybe try it again next year, pal. Yeah, this is the best division in football. Simply put, it's the best division in football, top to bottom. Any of these teams could be playoff teams. And for that reason, like you just said, that means any of these teams could miss the playoffs. That's how important these division matchups are going to be this year in here. I actually have them on the under of eight and a half. I think they're the only team in this division that is going to have the risk of falling under 500 in general. So I'm going to say eight and nine, actually. Like you said, they brought in a lot of these older guys and let guys like Kashawn Reddick go, which kind of confused me. You want to keep that homegrown young talent at home instead of going out and spending money on the A.J. Greens, Malcolm Butlers, and J.J. Watts of the world. I'm not entirely sure that we're going to see a step forward this year from Kyler Murray. With guys like Rondell Moore, you would assume that the weapons are there for it to happen. But now with the rushing game, I think it's going to take a step back because you have James Conner in there now. He's kind of going to be the the bell cow or at least take a, a decent amount of the carries there. I don't think that the running game is going to be nearly as explosive. And until I see, I guess, that progression, that next step in the passing offense in Arizona, I don't think they're going to do it in this division. So I actually have them at the under. I think they're going to be 8-9. and nine. Very competitive. A team that could beat anybody on any given Sunday just because of how difficult this division is, I just have them a tick below everybody else. But let's switch now to a team that had a horrible season record-wise, but I think it's actually going to be a blessing in disguise for this team. The San Francisco 49ers, their over-under set at 10. Their over is at minus 138, with the under being at plus 115. Their key additions, here. here's the thing. You might not necessarily have a ton of key additions from like a free agency standpoint, but you're getting that defense healthy again. You have Trey Lance coming in. He probably won't start right away. It sounds like they're married to the idea of letting Jimmy G play for a little while, give Trey Lance a little time to develop. But then you also got guys like Alex Mack. I know we have a lot of Browns fans that listen here. Your friend Evan Desker is a Falcons fan. All these people know how talented Alex Mack is, how incredibly smart he is, and how well he can anchor a line. They did lose guys like Kendrick Bourne. But on the whole, I mean, this is a team now that with these basically renewal acquisitions, with the, everybody being healthy again, there's no reason to think they shouldn't be back to that 2019 Super Bowl caliber clip. And if Trey Lance does have to come in at some point, man, this team can be fun. I mean, Jimmy G, and I can't remember, he got hurt, and I can't remember their back. It's like Nate Mullins last year, or was that before that? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, Nick Mullins, baby. Nick I think Mullins. they had Blaine Gabbert maybe there for a little bit. Gosh, I can't keep track. It feels like every time you look, there's a new unnamed quarterback in San Francisco replacing And they make it work, and somehow they make it work. That's what I was just going to say. Somehow this team last year, they had the 12th best passing offense, and they had no passing offense. So imagine if Trey Lance is what they think he can be. I mean, look out. This is a team that can rival the Chiefs as being a dominant force in the league for a foreseeable future. So at 10 wins... Where are you sitting on this San Francisco 49ers team? So I have them going 12 and 5 this year. That defense is going to be fully healthy. And to your point, they were still 12th passing offense, 15th rushing offense, 4th passing defense, and a 7th ranked rushing defense with their studs missing, with 
the likes of veterans like Richard Sherman missing time. Obviously, you have you got little Bosa that was missing time, Solomon Thomas that was missing time, and it just felt like there was such a long laundry list of injuries that were happening every single week. And I felt like you can make a really filthy roster with all their people on, on injured reserve. Now they're going to be fully back healthy, getting that full offseason that they obviously didn't have going into this year, which maybe that would have correlated to maybe why the injuries were happening. But this team is ranked this high, missing basically all their best players. How could you not expect them to be more dangerous? They added Alex Mack to that offensive line and, make, and then made Trent Williams the highest paid left tackle in the league. And then you're just adding talent in, in your boy, Trey Sermon. So an already loaded backfield and a running back by committee that holds Jimmy G up to make sure that they are an offensive adequate team. And Kyle Shanahan, just the best coach in football right now. You're able to put up those numbers with that roster that you had last year. I mean, hats off to you. Thank God you didn't have a lead in any of those games, roughly around 28 to 3, because I'm sure you would have blown a lot of those. Always got to get a little yeah, bit of Yeah, you stabbed a little there. bit. I also forgot to say, I also had the over. 12 and 5, just like you, Steven. I'm glad you said it. And Kyle Shanahan is the best coach right now. That's all my piece it is. Turns into, what do you think? I have to ask impromptu question for you. Who is winning the NFC home field advantage? Because I feel like it's a battle between San Francisco and Tampa Bay. Ooh. See, that'll be, yeah, that that's who it's going to come down to. It's either gonna, actually, no, I think it's going to be the L.A. Rams, but you're kind of just killing my foreshadowing. Oh, I actually like that. I really did kill your foreshadowing, so that's my fault. Please continue. Or, or am I misleading you? We're going to go to the, the Pacific Northwest, which I guess we already kind of were in San Francisco. The Seattle Seahawks, over-under set at 9.5. They're under at plus 125, over-set at minus 150. Not too many crazy additions for them. I know that they, you know, re-signed Carlos Dunlap, kept him to bolster that defensive line. But Russ seems to be very happy with the way that the front office was dealing with his offseason, as you guys can remember. He was the first quarterback with the rumors coming out that he may want out of Seattle. He doesn't like how the offensive playbook doesn't really evolve, doesn't let him use all of his strengths. Russ seems to be very happy that he's back in Seattle. Him and Pete Carroll are on the same page. It doesn't matter. Since you got Russell Wilson as your quarterback, you're always going to be a contender. You will always be in the playoff conversation, and you will always be in the Super Bowl conversation. Now, with the defensive side of the ball, they have the 31st-ranked passing defense. I don't think that they have done anything in that secondary to make me very, very confident. Now, granted, they were so horrible last year, it's impossible to be worse than they were last year. I think they gave up like 1,000 yards over the first two games. So I know that first one was against the Atlanta Falcons. Can't remember who the second one's off the top of my head, but they were giving up a shit ton of passing yards. And that rushing defense was the only thing that was keeping them afloat defensively. Adding, you know, with the addition of Carlos Dunlap midseason or a little bit earlier on, you saw how that changed the dynamic of that front seven for him. So we'll see with the full offseason with those veterans in that locker room how they how they will go or how they how they will perform this year. Like I said, you got Russell Wilson as your quarterback. I'm picking Seattle to go 13 and four. And like I said, I threw a wrench in that, and I actually have them winning the division at 13 and four. And right now, taking that number one spot in the NFC. They're ready. They were on fire last year. 
Then they slowed down. This is going to be their little bit of a revenge tour to remind people that Seattle is still a force to be reckoned with. They can't see me, but like my jaws open. Like I am, I could not possibly disagree more if I wanted to. I think I misspoke earlier when I was getting ready to tell you guys. When I'm like Arizona is the only team that has the potential to go under 500 in this division. I think Seattle's right there too. I mean, this is a team right now. Just looking at what they did this year, they only bring in three draft picks and their three middle round draft picks. I mean, they're basically their biggest moves were retaining guys. This is a defense you mentioned, 31st in the pass defense and fifth in rush. How much of that rush defense do we have to attribute to? Nobody had to run the ball when you knew you had to, you had the open avenue free market in Seattle defense. So I just think that they're going to fall off a little bit, especially Shaquille Griffin being gone. I mean, that is a major loss. This to me, it's I'm probably overreacting saying that I'm going to take the under at plus 125. But in this moment right now, I think this is an nine and eight, eight and nine kind of team. So I would say under, I suppose when we do our final preview here in about a month's time, when we're picking our division winners and all that, I'll reevaluate when I look at their schedule more closely. But man, if they get 13 wins, this might be your Tampa Bay call from last year because I'll give you all the credit in the world. Otherwise, I mean, look out. I feel like this might be Atlanta 2.0. Well, I got to give you a reason to always shit talk me, you know? I'm just tired of always being right on crazy shit. So I'm more than okay looking you in the face saying, yeah, I was wrong. On to the next crazy, crazy idea or crazy prediction that I have. Yeah, like I said, hand up. I'll give you all the credit if you drill it. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about the last team here in the division and the team that I think I'm probably most intrigued by is the LA Rams. The LA Rams this year, they really lost a lot of key pieces on that defense. A very, very good defense at that. Top passing defense, third rushing defense in 2020. But you lose basically half of your secondary to the Cleveland Browns and John Johnson and Troy Hill. And then Samson Ebukam, I think I say that right, He's gone. Morgan Fox and Gerald Everett are gone. But you bring in Deshaun Jackson and Matt Stafford. So that's where you're stuck looking at this, and you're asking yourself, wow, this offense is going to get a lot better. However, that defense, you would imagine, is going to take a couple steps back. So now it's that, does the Matthew Stafford acquisition, is that going to overpower so much where it's a more balanced team now, but a very good balanced team, we're talking both probably top 10 in all stats regarding offense, defense, passing, and rushing is what I'm saying, team defense-wise. So I, I'm actually very intrigued with them. I am going to agree with Vegas. It is over at minus 133, and the under at plus 110. I do think that they are going to hit the over. I think they're going to be a very dangerous team come playoff time as a wild card. Still think that that road goes through San Francisco, but I wouldn't be surprised at all that if the LA Rams had a little bit of life come week 16 or 17 and having a shot to at least give the home field right down there and whatever, what USC's Memorial Stadium, whatever you want to call it. It's so far. They already got their stadium built. Oh, know, that's right. This is, I forgot. That's right. This year's they're unveiling it. Yeah, it looks badass. I can't wait to see it a third full. Not because of COVID, but just LA teams that aren't basketball, just simply can't fill seats. It, I saw one of those uh, tweets that basically said the same thing. I can't remember what team it was, which was like, 
they're not going to be operating at full capacity this year unrelated to COVID. And like that was just the tweet. I'm like, that's that was exactly what I just thought of. Like I know NFL teams make a lot of money, but some of that's ticket sales. And if they're, they're always at half capacity. I just don't understand how you can build that. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I, I do understand. But for how – why would you want to build a stadium like that when you know you're not going to be able to fill it? Oh, well, if we build a stadium like this, we're going to fill it. Yeah. for the It's like when you have that fight with your girlfriend and you tell tell her to fix something. Yeah, it's going to work for a couple weeks. It's going to go right back to the same bullshit. All about building that net worth for these owners. And you know that stadium is it – or that ticket for the Stan Crankies or however you say it of the world. Don't think it's going to be cool. Well, this is never going to happen. But if they're going to be able to have, I can't remember what it's called, but the outdoor NHL games that they have, what, the Summer Classic or whatever they call it, Winter <laughs> the summer Classic. Classic. In, what, January 1st? Yeah, dude, that that's summer, depending on what side of the equator you're on. But, fair, uh, fair. <laughs> but that'd be cool if they can have, if they can hold that out there. I know that they tried to do that, what, Lake Tahoe this past year, and the water and the ice was getting really slushy. Or maybe it was two years ago. No, that was this guy. year. It was the sun. They had a sun delay. A sun delay. God, that is the most Canadian thing I've ever heard. Brutal, dude. It was It was a great atmosphere. Just, yeah, that was, that was a lot. Now, we'll continue on here with the LA Rams. Yeah, like you're saying, you got John Johnson, Troy Hill leaving. Morgan Fox, who didn't play that many snaps. But if you look at the percentage, like what he's done in the small percentage of snaps that he's played, and you put it on a bigger scale, and you round it up to, you know, I think he was playing like 35% of those. If you even go up up to double that, dude's potentially an all-pro. So Carolina's getting a stud defense on the defensive side of the ball with that. But adding Matt Stafford, that's really all you need. You have Aaron Donald. You got Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey is going to be able to coach that secondary up and have them play at a higher level. But Matt Stafford hasn't had this good of a defense questionably ever. And if he did, it was back in the Ndamukong and Sue days when he was playing on the Lions. So Matt Stafford's going to have a lot more – he's going to be a lot more comfortable in that pocket. You know, not saying he's going to make mistakes, but to make that mistake with that defense that he has playing on the other side of the ball. Now that over-under set at 10, I have the Rams coming in second in that division with a 12-5 and beating the San Francisco 49ers because of the head-to-head matchup there. But I have them right at 12-5. and Been high on this team since they've acquired Matt Stafford. I'm going to stay very high on this team until Matt Stafford proves me wrong because even with Jared Goff, who obviously is light years behind Matt Stafford, this was still a team that we were talking about going to the Super Bowl. So adding a better quarterback, yeah, losing those defensive pieces, I still think that they should be right up there. And we'll see how San Francisco's looking, you know, once the season starts going. But why not have them as the favorite to win the NFC? And, yeah, I get it. I know I'm really high on Seattle right now. I'm obviously high on a couple other things if I'm picking them like this because I feel like I'll kind of walk it back here. But that's why we record it so you guys can rub it back into my face. But there's no reason why these uh, this L.A. Rams team shouldn't be the Super Bowl favorite for, or at least representing the NFC side of this. I have them at – smashing no I guess not smashing that but I have him at 12 and 5 beating that over under by 2 and everyone should be happy with me last question remember this moment Uh, we're gonna remember this moment I'm okay with that now do you have San Francisco still making the postseason or do you have them just on the outside looking in 
I'm gonna have no. I'll have San Francisco making the postseason. Okay, sure. I just had to make sure. I'm gonna have. I'll have three of the. I'll have three people from the West going into the playoffs on the NFC side. What about the other what fifty players on the team? What's that? You said there was gonna be three people out of the NFC West, and I made another. Dunaching. We're really doing great today. <laughs> Then let's end on a high note, Wally. So that's all we have here for our, our quote-unquote too early predictions, even though it's about a month, month and a half away. But th- that way, when we go into August, we can take a way deeper dive, see if what injuries are popping up to make a real assessment of what we think are, you know, who is going to be in those playoffs, winning those divisions, and obviously the accolades that are with that MVP, Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, etc. But that is going to bring us to another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at loss of down, Twitter down underscore loss. And Wally, do you have any parting words for our listeners, bud? No, not really, man. I'm looking forward to some fun soccer this weekend. I have a bachelor party as I head back from Cleveland. So that'll be fun. Kind of get a little bit of a reprieve after everything. And hopefully here we, in a couple weeks, I mean, we're getting close to coming back to weekly as football season's only a couple months away, baby. Not far off, so looking forward to that, guys. Who are you taking in Copa? Who are you taking in Euro? Good question. I'm going to say... Now, these aren't who I want to win, but my picks, I'm going Brazil and Italy. I'm going Argentina, Italy. So we're going to have a fun little... Maybe we'll get a little back and forth. Maybe we'll text and think of a think of a fun bet we can talk about. Yeah, that'll be definitely fun. I'm also... I don't know. I think it'd be cool to see England win in Wembley. But then every single friend of mine on earth seems to be Italian. So I'm kind of fighting between two separate thoughts here, Steven. Hey, don't fuck up your free, you know, spaghetti, big ziti, any, any hookup that you get from your Italian friends and the way that they can cook. So don't fuck this up, bud. You might as well just throw that blue and green on. You're not kidding. And here, last thing I swear, and I'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up. So this last week, after we figure everything out, we're all bummed out and stuff, family's over. My dad's boss sends us, and she's Italian, that's the reason I'm bringing this up, she sent us, I can't exaggerate, tables full of food. Big Z, spaghetti, wings, pizza, garlic bread, breadsticks, like, it was overwhelming. So, I guess now I said that out loud, I guess I have to root for uh, the old Italians here, I suppose. Oh, mozzarella. Uh, Insert the hand gif. The, I don't even know what you'd call this. What would you yeah, call the, it? <laughs> the, the, upward, the upward pinching motion. Exactly. But you got to almost have two sometimes. Like, come on. Pizza. Chef Boyardee. Uh, Tony Soprano. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. That's a great way to end it. <laughs> and until next time, he is Wally Lukashevsky and I'm Stephen Weed. We are in Lost of Down. And we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. You guys are the best. See you soon.